We're continuing in our, our reframe series. And this week we're, we're looking at, well, what is what does the Bible say? What does Paul have to say about our true uh, freedom? And we're looking at the verses in chapter 5 of Galatians, beginning at verse 13, where he says, You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. And then in verse 25 it says, Keep in step with the spirit now um we were looking at this in terms of personal resurrection personal spiritual resurrection the idea that that the holy spirit is at work in your life to bring the objective reality of the gospel the the legal status that you're now a child of god you're a daughter you're a son your father is the same father as the father of the lord jesus christ that the father because you're in Christ, loves you as Christ. The Father, because you're in Christ, treats you as righteous as Christ. That's the legal status that you have. But the Holy Spirit begins to make that more than just an objective reality. He begins to make it a, a subjective or experiential relational reality. It's not, it's not just knowing about. It's not just information, but rather it's a relational presence. The Holy Spirit is God's desire to manifest his presence in a relational way within your life and within every every moment of your life. He is the Holy Spirit is the divine resident within the walls of your life. The Trinity by the Spirit indwells you. This is the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So there's resurrection, personal resurrection power in every believer. But what we've been talking about in terms of freedom is that we do we have these issues of the flesh. Paul calls it the flesh. Some people call it the old nature, the old sin nature. Um, it is it is what tied you to your old life, to death, and to sin. It was the it's the access point that Satan has, and it's the place that the world, in a sense, wants to supply and nourish and replenish so that, you know, the scripture is really clear. You have these three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so Paul is dealing with the flesh here. Now, in a way, if you think about it, the flesh is the most difficult of the enemies. Satan is a defeated foe. You have authority over him. He has no right to you unless he deceives you or tempts you or in some way you let him accuse you because legally he has no right to you. But you have to take your stand, Paul says. It can't be a passive stand. It has to be an active stand. But he is a defeated foe. He's the easiest to get rid of because he, he has been thrown down by the work of the Lord Jesus. He is, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. But you live in the world, and the world system is geared 
to supply the flesh. I mean, Satan is called the god of this world. Um, and so the, the world and the flesh um, cannot simply be overcome by willpower. It has to be come by, overcome by yielded will to the greater spiritual power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we talked about the developmental aspect of this all this week. Uh, Paul gives three components. Walk in the Spirit. That means that you cultivate in your way of life, you cultivate times lingering with the Spirit, coming to know what He's like, how He works, so that you can distinguish His voice from any other voice in your head, so that you know um, the illumination of the Spirit when it comes to the Word of God, not just that you read God's Word for content or information, but rather that you read God's word in such a way that you are transformed by his word, walking in the spirit, a way of life. But that means that if you're going to have a way of life in the spirit, you have to be led by the spirit. And so the idea is once you begin to sense, okay, the spirit is leading me in this way, the word of God leads me in this way, then you reject the flesh no matter how painful it might be, you reject the flesh, you renounce the pathway of the flesh, and you choose to obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The whole thing is to pull close to the Spirit. That's the problem with disobedience. When we disobey, we pull away. Because we're saying, I can't trust your leadership. I have to satisfy my own desires another way, or my needs even. And so, I mean, one great definition of sin is, is sin is meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. So in other words, there's a need. The Spirit says, I want to lead you this way to meet the need. But the flesh in the world says, no, pull away from the Spirit and be led this way. And then Paul says, you know, walking in the Spirit, led by the Spirit, then you begin to experience life in the Spirit. Now this... I emphasized the last time that life in the Spirit is, is, is that your eyes get open wide to all that the Spirit has prepared for you, the destiny he has for you, the calling, the purpose, the meaning. And, and in some ways you can't see that fully until you're, you're starting to step into an obedient lifestyle with the Spirit. But today I want to focus on the fact that life in the Spirit is... is, is always manifesting in community that that life that life-giving work of the spirit the personal spiritual resurrection is always tested and begins to manifest either the deadness spiritually or the the life-giving work of the spirit spiritually in community um, now part of that is because God has always existed in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a loving relationship. The love the Father has for the Son, the Son for the Father. You see that indicated in all of Jesus' ministry, but especially in John 17 in his, his high priestly prayer. But the Holy Spirit is that personalized expression of that love of the Father. So, so where you're going to most see the walk in the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit, the life in the Spirit is going to be as you are in community with others. So there's a capacity that the Spirit must develop in us to truly love one another. 
and he does that in community. Now, the interesting thing here is that you're saying, well, surely if he's gonna, you know, if he's gonna express love, then he's gonna give me this very loving community where it will be, you know, easy in some ways to love. And yet, it's my experience has been that's not the case. That every community, whether it's a church community, a denominational community, a family as a community, whatever it is, we're all broken. We all have we all have these places where we are not loving, where we're incapable of the kind of love that that would come forth from the spirit. Um, if we were only in communities where we were totally, you know, everything we all agreed, we were in complete unity with one another, we had affinity for one another, then it wouldn't be necessarily walking in spirit and it wouldn't be real. So this is why in so many ways that it's tragic that for so many years churches sought to be segregated. You know, to only have people who believe exactly the same, who looked exactly the same, who spoke with, the, you know, the same accents, you know, all of those kind of things, as if in some ways that was, that was loving. Well, life in the Spirit puts us with people who we don't have natural affinity with, but we have unity with them because this is a brother in Christ. I'm united and my bond with you is not cultural, it's not ethnic, it's not... You know, it's not necessarily preferences or style, but my bond is you belong to Christ, I belong to Christ. We belong to each other. And you see, only the Spirit can do that because it's not about naturally being, you know, saying, oh, I like this person or naturally I trust this person. No, the whole thing that Paul is talking about here, and, and, and it was lived out in that first century church because you were talking Gentiles, and Jewish people, you were talking about uh, people from slave backgrounds, people who had been slave owners. You had, I mean, you had a, a gamut of social and economic uh, and cultural reasons to hate one another and to despise each other. And yet God was bringing this group of people and by the spirit, they were they were being given a capacity to love and and in a way paul says you know the real purpose of the old testament law and, and this is so fascinating because he's been so adamant that the purpose of the old testament law was never to earn acceptance with god or acceptance with each other but he says the whole law is summed up in this love your neighbor as yourself and so he's saying, you know, that, that when it boils down to what does it really mean to, to live out the law of Christ, it is to live out the law of love. Not for the earning, not for, not for you know, having God's approval or acceptance, but because you are accepted, because you are, you are a son or a daughter approved by the Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Then there's this capacity being developed to live in community with people who are radically different from you, who don't always see things like you, who don't come from the same background as you, and to say, in the Holy Spirit, I am, I am gaining a capacity to love those that I would not love in my flesh, love those that I would not love in this world. And so 
Obviously, when the Spirit throws us into community like that, he's saying there's the potential for selfishness. There's a potential for self-centeredness. There's a potential for hurt feelings. There's a potential for selfish ambition to, to manifest. And, and he, he's, not, he's not saying it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, he begins to, to show us that in community... You know, poisonous speech can happen. Uh, the church can be undone. He said, you can devour an, a, each other. And the church can be destroyed. And so, this work of the Spirit doesn't just restrain evil. But rather what Paul says is that it, 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 it manifests or reveals the evil that keeps us from loving one another. It manifests the evil that keeps us from life in the Spirit. And, and he says, you know, in some ways the Holy Spirit is the one who's revealing the dark side of our soul. Not to embarrass us, but to heal us. Not to condemn us, but to give us power to be resurrected. Because the dark side is that which is connected to the old nature and there is no compromising with the old nature. There's no rehabilitation. It has to be crucified. It has to be seen for what it is, not justified, not rationalized, but it has to be it has to be seen as clearly as possible. And so Paul says that these these characteristics, particularly that manifest in community, these fleshly works of the flesh he calls them these are deadening they're spiritual spiritual deadness that are characteristic of every soul and and it's interesting because he, he he gives 15 signs of the deadness of the human soul and, and here they are now the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So they're, they're, they're all directed. This is the thing that's so interesting is they're all directed towards believers. And they're directed towards community. These are relational Signs of deadness. So there are seven that could fit into an irreligious uh, situation or circumstance, but there are eight that are specifically very religious in orientation. So Paul is not saying, look at how bad the world is. What he's saying is the spirit wanting to produce life in you will, will reveal in community where there is spiritual deadness in you. And what happens is sometimes when these, this spiritual deadness appears, we devour one another. We attack one another. Uh, particularly if, if you have revealed some area of deadness in me, then I've got to get rid of you, is the idea here. And so there's three areas of sexual sin that are mentioned. Um, there's two that deal with substance abuse. There's drunkenness. And the word that's translated orgies here is not really a sexual orgy, but it has to do with kind of intoxication or getting high or something like that. 
It's an addictive, uh, sort of an addictive thing to a substance. But then you see, he begins to unpack how when people come together, that agendas are not always pure. That motivations begin to be manifest. And he's saying these are signs of deadness. These are signs of the old life that need to be put to death. So there's self-ambition, selfish ambition. So we look at a group and, and, and we say, what can I gain from this group? How can I advance myself from this group? There's jealousy. If somebody has a different role or somebody has a different status, we look and say, why do they have that status? Why don't I have that status? And it, it reveals a place of brokenness in the soul where love hasn't penetrated, but deadness is still characterizing that soul. And so that, that, that gets manifested in community. It gets manifested with a group. Dissensions this, and divisions. This one's really interesting is because Paul is basically saying that when we come together, we're not going to all agree. We're not going to all look at things the same way. We're not going to have the same preferences. But what we do with that, those differences of, of opinion, those, those, you know, different preferences, style, you know, timings, all of these things, how we deal with those things will manifest whether we're living in the deadness of our former life or if we're living in the newness of life from the resurrection presence of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, you know, someone disagrees with you or someone says something that hurts your feelings. What do you do with it? Do you divide the church? Someone says something that you don't, you know, you or does something that you feel like is wrong. Do you cause dissension over that? Do you go and talk to other people in order to destroy that person? Well, those are signs of deadness. And, and Paul says there's even more sorts of spiritual deadness, but these are the ones that he lists at the time. And then he starts to say, here's what the Spirit, life in the Spirit, manifesting in community. Not just a kind of personal possession of these traits for yourself, but traits that manifest in the face of trials and challenges, but especially that manifest in community, particularly community where there's diversity. Diversity uh, can manifest either the dead traits or develop these desired traits. And so the desired traits, Paul says, are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, the fascinating thing here, to me, and maybe maybe not as much to you, but to me it is, is Paul doesn't say these are the fruits of the Spirit. He says this is the fruit. In other words, he's producing all these things at once. If you say, I'm loving, but I'm not patient. Now, Paul says he's developing love and patience, and love without patience isn't love, and patience without love, love isn't patience. So, so he's developing these things all at once. Your responsibility isn't to produce these things. See, if you try to produce these things by willpower, I'm going to be loving. It'd be like putting plastic fruit on a tree and saying, here's my fruit. It's manufactured. It's fake. It's counterfeit. Um, 
I mean, there's a counterfeit to every one of these traits. There's a way you can restrain yourself. There's a way you can hide yourself. But but what Paul is talking about here, and, and what I I personally have seen in my life is by being honest about the dead traits, they can be replaced with the living traits. But when I'm not honest and I'm saying I'm going to be loving and I'm trying to will myself to be loving or to be patient or to be joyful, it's just fake. So it's just more deadness. It's deception. It's going back to what Paul said in chapter one. I am more if I'm if I'm trying to will myself to be more of these things than what and, and I'm denying the reality of what's really manifesting then I'm really more about pleasing people than I am about serving God. And you can't do both. Uh, The truth is the appearance of righteousness has no value to a God where the heart and the motivation is everything. I mean, the whole next chapter, chapter 6, is God is not mocked. God is not mocked. And so... We've got the opportunity to be a generation of people who are honest so that we can be transformed. And so think through these nine traits with me. I I just have a brief summary because I think they're really important. So I talked some Sunday about this, but love in, in the scripture, love's opposite is not hate. Love's opposite is fear. So, we know this from 1 John. It says, perfect love casts out fear. It doesn't say perfect love casts out hate, although obviously that happens. That's a byproduct. But he says, perfect love casts out fear because the issue is fear. So the issue that the Spirit is trying to do is how have you positioned yourself to protect yourself from pain, from rejection, from disappointment, discouragement how have you coped and everywhere you have coped scripture is saying that's a place where fear and a spirit of fear has gotten in and has rendered you less capable even possibly incapable of freedom to love and so when we when the spirit is is working he's going to show you your fear And he's going to show you self-protection. He's going to say, will you exchange your self-protection for trust in your Savior to be your protector? Will you let me lead you without you trying to protect yourself? So love is about opening yourself up, serving others for the value of who they are, not to feel good about yourself, to manipulate them, or to get your own ends or outcomes from them. Joy is such a powerful one because I, I I think a lot of us, we have some capacity for happiness. And happiness is usually circumstantially uh, motivated. But joy is taking our eyes off of the world, off of ourselves, and putting our eyes and delighting in God for the intrinsic value of who he is. See, this is, this is actually where the joy of the Lord becomes my strength, is 
and you know I'm not saying this is easy this is why you have to walk let be led and live in the spirit but I had a day and I continued to have days where instead of um, instead of seeing God as a means to an end where his beauty has just overwhelmed me where his glory his loveliness, his holiness. And and my joy, my deepest joy is in him and how beautiful, how glorious, how holy he is. Because that's not circumstantially oriented. That is his intrinsic value. And when your joy begins to be how beautiful God is to you, no one and nothing can take it away. And it's, a, it's an incredible power. And then the peace, see, peace in a way is that equilibrium inside of you that the Spirit gives that comes from restored trust that becomes constant in God's purposes for your life. See, in other words, things can go differently than you expect. Things can turn a different direction, but the peace says... I, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how this will turn out. But I have a constant trust and I have an abiding trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. And I'm not smarter than he is. Now, patience comes from a deeply forgiving spirit. So you, you cannot be patient if you're not forgiving. Anger will kill you physically, spiritually. And so patience is actually, you know, all, that's why all these are connected. Peace and patience. So peace comes because there's an inner equilibrium that I trust the purposes of God. Even if I don't understand right now, I trust his purposes. And patience comes as you deal with people and circumstances with a deeply forgiving spirit. Having been forgiven deeply, you forgive deeply. See, it's not patient if everybody does exactly what you want them to do and exactly what you expect them to do. Patience is when you forgive when things don't go the way you want them to go. Again, patience is the realization. Peace is the realization. I'm not smarter than God. And the curriculum of the Holy Spirit is at work here. Kindness is 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 in the the idea in the Greek here is a generosity of spirit. So it's having a margin to give, having a, a place to say, everything I have, I hold lightly and I give away freely. That's not easy, that generosity of spirit. It's not niceness, it's not even politeness, it's generosity is what Paul's talking about. And it, and, and it allows you, this, this, this is one of the most difficult things in community because things are always kind of unbalanced. Some people are up, some are down, some are receiving incredibly easy lives, others are having incredibly difficult lives. People seem to go through uh, times of great promotion, other people are going through times of great sorrow. And, and when you're in a community, you, you see it all. And, and this kindness that Paul's talking about is you, you're able to delight 
when other people succeed, when other people receive, you're able to delight without envy that says, why, why not me? Why didn't I get that? Why do they get that? Why do they get every advantage? And that's so easy to look around and say, somebody always has it better than you. And so the generosity of spirit is, is, is an openness that everything I have, I'm a steward of, and I'm generous with it. But also, as others have more, others have good things happen, I can delight with them without envy. The, the word that's translated goodness is actually the idea of sincerity or purity or integrity. It's the opposite of hypocrisy. In other words, your public self and your private self are consistent. You're not hiding. I love uh, the trait faithfulness. It means you're dependable. Your word is true. Your promises you fulfill. You do things with your whole heart. You don't say yes and then hate the person for asking. If you say yes, you've thought through the consequences, the cost, and you're there. And you're completely reliable. This, this is kind of lacking because we're such a me group of people in the world today. And maybe we always have been. But the idea of your word being a promise, that's the idea of faithfulness that others can rely on you. Again, this is you can say, well, I'm, you know, I'm faithful, I'm reliable, but... In community, when you say yes, do you mean yes? When you say no, do you mean no? Humility, I, this is a very simple one. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's that you're so caught up in your Savior that you think of yourself less. And then the last one is self-control. And um, Tim Keller says it this way, always choosing the important thing over the urgent thing, knowing what the important thing, having enough control of your yes and your no, having enough control of your emotions that you know this is what I should choose into. And you have a sense, instead of being pulled like a, a slave to, the, to emergencies and tyrannies of the urgent, you have this sense of direction and destiny because you're, you're, you've, you've attuned your heart to what's important, to what matters. It's so interesting because Paul often says this, but one of the most important lines he gives is he says the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. That, I, I do just one kind of simple thing here at the end. I, I, I think you need to be able to read your own heart in circumstances and you need to read am, am I being motivated by fear or am I being motivated by love because if it's fear based then it's not being led by the spirit it's the spirit of fear leading you but if it's love based it's not that you won't experience fear it's not that you won't you know sometimes experience that people don't understand you or Maybe they disagree with you or they complain about you, but you know that what you're doing is based in love. Then, see, then you can, with full patience, forgive those who don't understand, but with incredible peace, inner equilibrium, you move forward because the results belong to God, not to you. 
But you see, when you give in to fear, then you take away, you, you get rid of self-control. And you move into manipulating, intimidating, dominating people and circumstances. And you lose your peace. All of these things work together. By deciding you're going to stand against fear. And you're going to choose into love. And you're going to operate from a position of love. If you said, you know, if you said something unloving, you go and you tell the person, you know, I'm sorry, I said something unloving. You're not, you're not, you're not denying the reality that you can make mistakes. But if you know you've acted in love and you know you've acted being led by the Spirit, then you can trust that the outcome belongs to God. Your joy is not in what's going on right now. Your joy is in the beauty and the glory of of your God who made heaven and earth and who's transcended over all of it. And he will fulfill his promises. So these traits are, are, are fully manifest, fully, fully, you know, fleshed out in community, not by ourselves, but you and I have to choose in. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live in the Spirit.